Hello, beautifuls. Welcome to Her Sexual Space, a podcast where we create a sex-positive space to engage in empowering discussions for building relational and sexual awareness. Today's guest is our first male guest. And I know a lot of you have been waiting for this, especially our um, the men in our lives, our male listeners. So today we have Kelvin Pace. Uh, he graduated with a master's in clinical psychology from the University of Alaska Anchorage in 2009. Kelvin is the owner of Case Based Counseling LLC, where he serves clients in private practice. He does contract work with Full Spectrum Health as a behavioral health clinician, where he works with an, an integrated care um, team delivering evidence-based care to persons of the LBGTQ plus community. Kelvin has worked for the local nonprofit delivering mental health services to children and young adults that have suffered from complex trauma. With a firm foundation in trauma, he delivers trauma-informed sex-positive therapy to his clients. Kelvin provides services to couples and individuals dealing with sexual or relationship issues that include low desire, anxiety around sex, and infidelity. His current focus is on mindfulness-based interventions to manage sexual concerns, and he works with persons that are either in or looking to explore non-traditional relationship orientations that fall under the umbrella of consensual and ethical non-monogamy. Welcome to the podcast, Kelvin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, you are my first male guest. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> you know, the podcast has been intentionally designed um, <laughs> to be a space for women, but I noticed that I have a lot of male listeners and um, I did not want to neglect the needs. So I decided to collaborate with you um, so we can bring um, something for the men because we need it. We need it too. <laughs> we need yes. something for, for the men. Um, so thank you for uh, coming on board and, and, and accepting my invitation. No problem. It's an honor. Yes. So just so our listeners know, Kelvin and I, we met through um, Sexual Health Alliance, um, where he is um, one of the supervisors and I guess seasoned professionals <laughs> in the sex sexual health space and um i have had the pleasure of meeting him and listening to some of his previous interviews so um i think he is just a, a great fit for this um, podcast and um i believe that he has a lot of value to bring to our male listeners so once again thank you for accepting our invite so kelvin um can you just tell us a little bit about how you show up in the world how you identify yourself yeah, um, so I, like you said, I'm currently living in Anchorage, Alaska, but I am originally from a very, very small town called America's Georgia. And uh, my dad was a military brat. Uh, my dad was in the military, so I was the military brat. And we moved um, all over this nation. And also we lived um, in Europe, in Germany for some time before coming back and getting settled here, um, his, um, he got stationed here back in Alaska. And that's where I met my 
wife in high school, and we've been together for 25 wonderful years. Wow. And, <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> and um, I did my own stint with the military. Um, I was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and stationed back here with the first of the 501st. And we decided that this was a great place to raise our two now adult children. Um, right now, I'm now exploring the world of being an empty nester. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that must feel so good. <laughs> it does. It, you know, <laughs> to be honest, we've been empty nesting for about the past four to five years right now, but we're just finally getting the hang of it. Um, with the COVID thing, my son came back um, mm -hmm. because his campus was closed. So he just did online schooling here. And so he just returned back to campus. So we're trying to get back used to it. Yeah, that is so cool. I can't wait to get to that stage of life. <laughs> <laughs> It took a transitioning period trying to figure out who we were as a couple yes. as individuals without yeah. football or sports or all those things to go to. Mm -hmm. It took some time to transition. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it is very common to start having some identity um, issues coming up and, and questioning, right? Just, just wondering who you are when you're not all of these things and And I think that is a part of us that we need to constantly be um, shaping because we raise kids so they can go out in the world. We don't raise them so they can be with us forever. So we're only active. I mean, we are parents forever, but we're only active parents for, you know, such a particular, you know, time frame, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. You know, um, when my son, and he just recently had a birthday and, you know, it was... I had to make an intentional effort to be dad to an adult man. <laughs> right. And that meant letting him sit with his decisions and to make his own decisions while offering advice only when asked. Yes. I love, I love that part. <laughs> <laughs> I love that part. So thank you for sharing a little bit of your family um, and personal journey there. Um, but I wonder, how, what was your journey and your path to becoming a mental health um, clinician as well as a certified ASEC certified sex therapist? Because I think that's huge. <laughs> yeah. I took the very, very long route. Um, yeah. So when I first became interested in this field, um, Like I said, I, I went into the military at the age of 18, and I was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina with um, 307th Engineers, and I was a medic there. And so being a medic there, you know, like all 18 and 19 young 20-year-old um, men, we talked a lot about sex, but we didn't really know what we were talking about when it came to sex. <laughs> and so still some of the same rumors and things that we heard, even though most of us were married, we had kids, we still really didn't know what we were talking about when it came to sex. And so, um, interestingly enough, someone had talked about a sex surrogate and I was like, huh, what's that? And they were like, well, it's a person that teaches people how to have sex and, or to, um, be in the bedroom 
to coach people through having sex. That was the definition that I received back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I thought that was interesting. And then um, I got stationed here at um, Fort Richardson with First of the 501st, um, but it's called J Bear now, Joint Base Elmendorf Richardson. But um, as a medic, I was working with more and more of my. Um, soldiers or infantrymen that I, um, I was a medic for and they were asking a lot of questions about sex and the only knowledge I had was from you know uh, or I thought was clinical um, knowledge at that time was from Loveline and a book because you can in, the, in those days you can get any book that said sex for dummies or this for dummies mm-hmm. <laughs> and so and then after a while, when their partners started asking me questions, because they were like, hey, you're pretty um, easy to talk to about this. I started to think like, you know what? I need more education about this. I need to um, learn more about human sexuality. And so um, I was up one night. I saw this very obscure show. It was called Berman and Berman. Um, and with... Uh, Dr. Laura Berman, she is a sex therapist, and I think her sister is a urologist, and she was providing sex therapy to this couple, and at the time, she was doing sensei-focused couples therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I was like, I'm going to dress up real nice, be on the couch, and I'm on you, I'm young 20s in the army, <laughs> like, I don't want to go to the field anymore, I want to be in a nice, uh, nice clothes and sit on the couch yeah. and talk about sex, and um, so I went, um, I enrolled in school, I got my bachelor's in um, psychology, and I thought, I'm done, now I can become a sex therapist, and they were like, no, no. You have to go to graduate school before you can even become a therapist. (laughs) And so I I went into the clinical psychology program. In my last year there, I met um, Dr. Tim Lauer, who was distance teaching um, sex education for the graduate program. And he was a sex educator. And the great thing about his class, he was like, well, this is the organization, the animated sheet of paper said, this is the organization that uh, certifies sex therapists. And I've already put this course into the grid for you. So whenever you decide to become a sex therapist, it'll already be here. And that program was ASECT, which I had known nothing about. Um, fast forward a little bit. I went to, as soon as I graduated, I went to go work for, um, our local, local community mental health agency, um, Anchorage community mental health services. And they wanted me to work with little kids, which was not my thing at all. Um, and so I started working with teenagers, transitional age youth and Mm -hmm. teenagers talk a lot about sex. Yeah. And especially in therapy, but especially where we were at, because I was dealing with a lot of um, youth that had experienced sexual assault or sexual trauma. I also worked with a grant that um, worked with um, domestic violence and sexual assault and with sexual um, sex trafficking here in Anchorage. And so um, after a while, 
we did a great job of treating trauma. That's that's an experience that I will never forget. Um, but personally, myself, I didn't believe we were doing a great job of teaching folks on how to have a healthy sex life after a sexual assault. And a lot of that was because of my own biases, right? It was like, they're, they're, they're young adults. I can't talk about sex with them. That's not going to be, uh, that's not appropriate. But after I got over that, I really started to educate myself and um, started talking to them about a healthy sex life. But then I transitioned over to my private practice and that's where I really got reacquainted with wanting to be, um, with getting certified. <laughs> Just a little side, I was born and raised in a Southern Baptist church. <laughs> my wife was born and raised as a Catholic. And so when I told my wife that I was going to become a sex therapist, her beautiful eyes, she grabbed me, she rubbed me on the shoulder. She's like, babe, I'm going to support you in anything you want to do. Just don't tell our parents. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I throw that in there because that connects to this point here of where we are very, um, we find it very shameful to talk about sex. Mm-hmm. And some of our own ingrained thoughts about sex from what we what we get from our religious backgrounds. And so that's why I really wanted to pursue sex therapy because in, in becoming an ASEC certified sex therapist, because mm-hmm. it, it helps you understand your own biases yeah, and help you process some of those things on your own. But that's how I ended up here. I, I, you know, um, I had a lot of great mentors when, um, when I was in my private practice, I was fortunate to come um, into an office. Um, Alaska only has four certified sex therapists. Um, and um, there were only two at the time. And my office, I shared with two of those sex therapists, um, wow. Dr. Susan Legrand and um, Dr. Chris Reynolds. And um, Chris Reynolds handed me a brochure and said, hey, you want to become a sex therapist? Here is a brochure to the Bueller Institute. And um, that's where I met Steph, Dr. Stephanie Bueller, and she was a great mentor. And uh, Susan Legrand was a great mentor that helped me um, become a sex therapist um, where I'm at now. Wow, that is amazing. And I think the experience that you've had, um, I think that too really adds on to the quality of work you deliver. So I wonder, how has all of that experience shaped your work right now? especially when working with men. And I know you work with women and couples and, you know, I, I just, I just want to see how all of that shapes just your work with, with, with men and even as a man. Yeah. And, and all these transitions, um, what got me to here is one, my experience in the military, understanding that uh, sex education is not a great thing in the United States because we as men, we were young, we were talking about all the myths and the rumors about sex. We knew the functionality of sex because that's what they teach us. Um, that is penis, vagina, sperm, um, eggs, baby. Right? So we knew the nuts and bolts, but as far as our questioning, we were questioning and getting our answers from sometimes from porn. Mm-hmm. 
And that's not a great sex education tool. And so that spurred, that, that helped spur to where I'm at now, but also looking at game and sh- uh, shame and guilt from um, just from growing up in a very um, religious um, household and also looking at um, trauma. Trauma is a huge part of how I practice. I look, um, I look into the aspects of what roles do trauma play on our sexuality. And trauma isn't always just physical or sexual abuse, but it's also emotional abuse. And how men, how that affects men. And so I also work with a lot of men that are prior service military or have been deployed into combat areas. And focusing on their trauma as well when it comes to their sexual health. A lot comes up there. And I wonder, so you've touched on, um, you know, shame and guilt and, of course, that emotional um, trauma piece there. Uh, What other themes um, come up with men in in your work? Um, Anxiety is a huge one. Um, Mm -hmm. Anxiety is a theme that if, um, that permeates male sexuality. And it, it has, what a lot of people don't understand about anxiety is that anxiety really takes a toll on our, um, or it can really show up physiologically. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I'll get young men that come in in their young 20s and they are believing that they have early onset of erectile dysfunction. Mm. Um, we get them to the doctor. We, get, um, we make sure that everything um, physically is working well. And it, it is. And, but nine times I've seen this coming back to that anxiety. Performance anxiety or that anxiety that's associated with shame and guilt. Um, which leads into the other theme of masturbation and pornography. That's another theme as well. Um, we've gotten so much into, it's become just so regular in my therapy sessions with men that they may come in and say, I have a sex addiction or a porn addiction. And I ask them, I'm like, so what makes you think that? And it's all, it, nine times out of 10, it's someone told me. I had a porn addiction or sex addiction. Yeah. And so that comes up as well. Mm-hmm. So does that anxiety feed into, because you didn't mention erectile dysfunction. So I wonder if um, that's inclusive of maybe premature ejaculation or delayed ejaculation. Yeah. And so um, premature ejaculation is something where we can get some work on um we could do more um specific interventions such as edging and Mm -hmm. things like that yeah um (laughs) yeah and delayed ejaculation this is this one is so tricky it's just and it's just and and i'm talking about cishet couples here um Mm -hmm. if I mean the game the not the games it's it's more of the the kind of insidious games that um, men and women play um, 
or thoughts that we have in our head. And so um, it's these messages, societal messages that we get. Um, men are like, well, I have to last an hour in bed yes. because I've learned, <laughs> I've learned from porn and I've learned from all the music that I don't, my, my girl doesn't want a minute band. Right. And, <laughs> and I have to last for an hour. And if I don't get her to um, orgasm, then I'm a bad lover. But then you have these men, and, and these are folks where you may see um, that may just are nothing's wrong with them. They're not having um, um, any erectile disorder physiologically. They're not having premature ejaculation, and um, that that plays into their anxiety with sex. And then you have these men with. Um, um, delayed ejaculation, mm-hmm. where they're having, they're, they are having sex for a long time because they're not, um, they're they're not able to ejaculate. But then on the other side is um, their female partners say, "Am I not sexy enough? Do I not get you off? Why can't you orgasm with me? But you can orgasm masturbating." <laughs> And so it's, it's, this, it's this weird dichotomy that we have where we personalize or we take things with sex to personal. We, we don't sit down and just give space for our partners. We don't ask questions. Um, as far as men saying, hey, I want you to be able to orgasm that's going to get me off. Uh, if you orgasm, then I'm going to be a great lover. That's great. That's amazing. He's taking care of his partner. But sometimes, oh, that's a lot of stress for some for a lot of our female partners to say, oh, if I don't orgasm, then my partner's not going to be happy. But I'm just happy making a sexual connection. It's not always about the goal-oriented sex of an orgasm. And so we continue these little anxiety loops that are hindering us from the sexual connection that we would like. And as you said, I'm thinking, you know, and, and even in that space, that's where uh, women start faking, you know, and, and all of that deceit and, <laughs> you know, yeah. it just adds on to that sexual experience and, there's not a lot of connection happening and a lot of talking and communicating, you know? Um, and also I think, uh, unlearning, you know, that your orgasm is your partner's responsibility because it's, it is yours. You know, I think we need to know how we orgasm, what gets us there, um, and communicate that to our partners so we can share that pleasure. And also for men being able to, communicate with women um, what they like. And I like um, the idea of watching each other um, self-pleasure and and masturbate so we can see what gets them there, you know, just, you know, just understanding the mechanics and, you know, adding on to the experience that we're having and the pleasure and also expanding that that concept. Um, You know, there are other things we can be doing to get there, right? It doesn't have to mean that we go straight into genitals, right? We can do massages. We can we can stimulate yeah. each other in other ways um, until we get to that point where we we want to do that. 
Yeah, you bring up an excellent point. When we fake orgasms, we're actually training our partners to be really bad at sex. Yeah. Right? It's enabling. This, yeah, yeah. We, 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 I hear my partner, they're, they're, I'm doing this one thing. My partner's getting off from that this whole time. I'm going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And not knowing that my partner isn't, um, is, is faking it. And so oh, yeah. when we, do that we rob ourselves opportunities um, from the sex that we want and so instead of going into faking and I have uh, and I've worked with men that fake orgasms that have backfired <laughs> their partners knew it and it really backfired for them so a lot of things is feeling comfortable with our partners to communicate what we like and what we don't like but sometimes that barrier is shame and guilt mm-hmm. or anxiety. Hey, um, what if I tell my partner that I like sex this way? And what if they stop liking me for that? What if they think I'm weird because I like this certain thing to be done? And so that's one of the barriers um, into that sexual communication about our sexual scripts uh, what we know about our own bodies mm-hmm. and how to educate our partners on those bodies. And sometimes, um, you know, um, lived experiences from some of my women is that sometimes us men don't always listen <laughs> to our partners when they say, I like this. Yeah. Um, and that goes into um, helping men understand their own bodies and sexuality Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very important for men and women to sit back and to understand their bodies and to understand their own sexuality and understand their own scripts. So then that way we can teach our partners. So, you know, oftentimes, like you, you just touched on, that barrier is that communication. So being comfortable enough and um, in touch with self enough to have that conversation. So I wonder... How can men begin working to, you know, to overcome that barrier of communication? One is um, understanding that sex positive and sexuality and thinking about and talking about sexuality is not a bad thing. I don't want to overgeneralize to all men, but sometimes when we hear that word sexuality, there's such a stigma to it. There, you know, um, if we are, if we want to avoid shame and guilt and anxiety, we put up barriers, and that barrier barrier comes into um, a lack of being vulnerable, not with our partners, but a lack of being vulnerable with ourselves to explore who we are as sexual beings. And once we start giving that message that sexuality means, how do we? see ourselves as sexual beings and how do we connect to our sexual selves then I think we drive down some of that stigma of that word sexuality once we hit that place and understand that yeah some men find it erotic to have their nipples stimulated during sex a lot of men um, some men they enjoy um, prostate massages then it opens up their whole um, playbook of sexual pleasure 
and to talk about sex as a, in a way about pleasure, but not just my pleasure, but my partner's pleasure. Mm-hmm. What I found is that since I've moved to moved away from the thought that we should be generous lovers, because um, that that was big at a time that we should be generous lovers. Since I moved away from that and taught my partners uh, or teach my uh, folks that I work with how to be selfish lovers, that's really changed some of the dynamics that I see mm-hmm. happening with them. And that is, I'm going to touch for my own interests um, if my partner's consenting, right? We have to make sure yeah. that consent's there. Right. <laughs> Even in marriages. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But I'm going to touch my partner with their consent for my own interest. I'm not going to put a huge tag on of pleasure or anything like that. It's just that I'm going to touch for my own interest. And as I'm touching for my own interest, I'm just going to be present and to notice what's happening with my body. And if I'm touching and I'm noticing what's happening with my body, there's we're not trying to get to the goal of uh, penal vaginal sex or just penetrative sex at all what we're just trying to do is get and there's no goal of orgasm there's just goal of being present with my partner mm-hmm. and taking note like when I touched my partner's inner thigh that brought a tingle down my neck which then translated into an erection is it going to translate into an erection all the time no but that's okay I'm just noticing what it's doing for my body now. And then vice versa, when the partner that is being touched, they can go into a space of saying, I am touched, I am being touched, and I'm just taking note of what's part part interests me, and I don't have to um, do anything else. There's no supposed to. And and this is a form of sensate focus therapy that I really enjoy. so even if I have, um, say, the women are touching the men, if she's touching them and she's touching her partner for her own interest and she notices he has an erection, the most freeing thing is I don't have to do anything with that erection. That's his. Yeah. Yeah. That's his. I'm going to move to a different part of the body because I'm interested. Because right now I'm not interested in his penis and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So I think that's some of the first ways that we, um, for men to sit down and to get mindful and to just really go slow and understanding their own body, become selfish touchers with consent um, and figure out what turns them on and what doesn't turn them on. So then that way we can communicate to our partners that information with reduced shaming. I love that. And you can always tell, <laughs> I guess, you can always tell the difference between men who have done that intentional work um, on their sexuality versus someone who is um, reenacting something that they've seen on porn. Uh, you know, women can women can tell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what topics yeah. do you feel like men aren't talking about enough? So I just wonder, in all of those themes and all the things that come into your office, what do you feel like, you know, men probably need um, to... Yeah, go ahead. Um, number one is sexual abuse. Um, 
we we don't talk about that enough with our young men and boys um, just because there's so much of a stigma around men being sexually abused I, you know um, shame on me I was on social media and someone was throwing up a statistic that said 99% of all rapes are committed by men um, which is false data actually the CDC did a um, a study on partnered um, violence and they added a new term that hasn't been part of their measures for sexual abuse or um, sexual assault and that is made to penetrate and um, being made to penetrate is exactly how it sounds it's when um, a male is forced or coerced to penetrate and I know the first thing people say well if this is a big guy he can't be forced to penetrate anyone well our bodies don't work like that if if there are men that um, become intoxicated and they pass out their penises they're still functioning and so there are um, some instances of that um, Coercion is another instance of mate um, to penetrate. And it happens with our young boys as well. Yes, I am very aware of that. Especially in the Caribbean, when we, when I talk with men about their first experiences and they, they, it's almost always um, involves an older, an older woman, um, you know, and, and back there it, you know, it's something that people brag about, right? Um, so, you know, I think it blurs the line because, yeah, that that was sexual assault. Like, if you were made to do that, <laughs> you know, exactly. and then I think sometimes there's a disconnect there. And only after you ask them, tell me about your first sexual experience, that's when you realize, yeah, that that really was <laughs> that really was you know some form of abuse. Yes, and in in that study that they found, seventy nine percent of folks that of men that reported uh, being made to penetrate, or, or of the men that were made to penetrate, seventy nine percent responded that they were made to penetrate by women. So that's a huge number, and um, we've we've turned a lot of us have turned this um, argument about sexual abuse and rape into a place of men versus women. When they actually turned, when they actually added those numbers in, the numbers were a lot closer to about how often men and women are being sexually abused. I think the statistics for women is one in four. I think, um, if I recall, the study said about one in five men, when they had made to penetrate, have been a victim of sexual assault or sexual abuse. When we look at that data, then we, the, the enemy isn't between the genders, men or women. The enemy is bad people doing bad things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sexually assaulting each other is 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 um, has unintended consequences. Sometimes down the road, now there are some resilient folks. Don't get me wrong, um, but when we talk about it, men don't bring that up often, and and they kind of keep it suppressed. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for sharing so that, Dato. 
And so that's one thing that topic that men don't talk about enough and their trauma around it. And then the next topic um, is to go back to um, healthy use of pornography. Mm. Um, like I said before, um, a lot of men that come in that say they have a porn addiction or um, a sex addiction, they were told by someone else. And um, that shame and guilt around pornography and sex um, isn't discussed enough. I love that. I like those two topics. Those are very, very significant. And, um, you know, and, and with pornography, I know oftentimes it is paired with um, masturbation. Um, I wonder how do you begin to help men better incorporate healthy and mindful masturbation um, while also managing, you know, their porn use. Because I know for some of us, we can probably have a solo self-pleasuring session without um, that stimulation, without looking at porn. But for some other people, they, they feel like they might need that. So how do you, how do you help them kind of balance that? Yeah, so I'll take the latter piece, the porn piece. Um, so a lot of folks use porn as arousal and entertainment. And a lot of times why, and the reason why, you know, I think um, a lot of men that come in, and this is just from the men that I see, when they talk about porn, they say they spend roughly about an hour, hour and a half looking for the right porn. About 15 to 30 seconds actually watching the porn. And and you can kind of akin that to um, how we go about Netflix, right? We spend more time on Netflix looking for a good movie than we actually spend time looking at the movie. And so... <laughs> That is so real. So, yeah. <laughs> and so when these guys come in, they're like, how much, how, how, how often are you watching porn? They're like, well, three to four hours a week or three to four hours um, once a month. And I'm like, so tell me more about your porn consumption. What's going on in this? Well, I'm just flicking through these tabs that have pornography on them. And I'm like, I'm not interested in that. That looks interesting, but no, um, I'm going to keep going. Okay, this one I could be interested in. Now I'm hitting my arousal state because I found the one that I like and now I have, <laughs> and now I can masturbate to it. A lot of men may um, already know what gets them off and so they know how to masturbate themselves and it doesn't take long for them to get off or to have an orgasm. So a way to get men to kind of come out of that porn trap um, of just droning on and looking for three to four hours for 15 to 30 second gratification is to put some attention intention behind their masturbation um and for whatever it may be if it's whether it's stress relief or just to learn about their body but to just sit down and to be present take some deep breaths be conscious of how they're masturbating um try out different techniques for masturbating, um, put away the bottle of lotion, 
scraps and lube. Why are they using? First of all, why why are people using lotion? It's convenient. And it goes back to that stereotype that, you know, um, men in our sexuality, like, I don't know if I should be using lube, right? And I'm, and like I said, this is more geared for cishet men and not, and, and not overgeneralizing to the population, but lotion is there. And, and lube is if you're a single guy and you're like, hey, I'm going to use lube or for your partner person, I'm going to get some lube. And sometimes there's, um, thoughts around that that uh, are not warranted like this is for women this is women use lube um, but if men use lube too so men get lube use lube it's very important and yeah, find that's where my brain works for you yeah. <laughs> that's where my mind goes I'm like just get you some good lube like it's it's yeah. <laughs> You can get it anywhere, your drugstore, anywhere. It's there. <laughs> exactly. Find a loop that works well for you. If you're partnered, try to um, not use silicone-based loops with your partner's toys, um, but or even with men's toys. So men also, um, so when we go about being mindful about masturbating, there's a huge piece there that I don't want to to look over or to pass over and that is sexual autonomy and sometimes men get shamed for masturbating and what I mean by that is that when we masturbate when a lot of men report that when they masturbate their wives get upset your partners get upset and think that um, why why aren't you having sex with me? Why are you masturbating? And sometimes um, masturbating ourselves doesn't have a lot of to do with our partners. It has a lot about us being with our own bodies. And so men turn off their access towards masturbation sleeves um, they have the fleshlight and they have other masturbatory sleeves and so they're turning off their own pleasure because of that shame and guilt of not um, um, that may be laid upon them yeah and I think being able to as a couple talk about like hey this is this is like you know this is why I'm doing this I had a stressful day I don't want to to bother you because I mean you probably had a stressful day too you know Mm -hmm. Um, I just need I just need a few minutes to just handle myself you know and I think um, being able to talk about it because I think sometimes men are often secretive about it and um, it's never talked about you know we just maybe suspect it happens but there is no communication going on like the feelings you know behind it like why why am i needing to do this before i go to work why am i needing to do this after work um there is no conversation you know and i think as women become more liberated and um they too you know start realizing well yeah i 
I want to masturbate. I want to, you know, experience some pleasure, um, you know, by myself. <laughs> and I think exactly. understanding like, hey, I'm doing this because I just really need a high right now. I just mm-hmm. I just need to a uh, booster. I just need my energy up and and that helps. And I think as women begin to explore those things for themselves, they realize, yeah, that's probably what he's getting to and, and giving him space to do that. Um, but I think it, it takes a journey. It, it's a journey to get to that point. And it takes a lot of talking and being open to having those deep conversations about our sexuality and what we need for ourselves. You know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you for, for touching on that. Um, another thing too is around uh, men and, you know, their relationship with their penis and of course, sexual health, um, those things often come up um, in terms of just how to care for themselves and um, you know how to stay connected with themselves yeah so our penises are very um, dependent on um, blood flow and so things that hinder our blood flow um, can really have a, a impact on um our erections. And so I think some of the best things is to um, limit smoking or not to smoke at all. Um, diet and exercise really helps um, keep that blood flow. We keep managing our blood pressure, especially as African-American men um, or um, black men in general, is that we really have to manage our um, blood pressure. Um, diabetes can have an adverse effect. And so we want to manage our weight, our sugar intake. And we also want to make sure that our mental health is um, in a good space as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, de- create, to decrease that anxiety and that, that shame. Yeah. And I'm thinking of just those stress management um, techniques there too, because, you know, men. You know, they, they carry a lot and they bring a lot home at the end of the day. Um, so I think even for men, being able to have a ritual um, for self-care, I think that is so important. Having a hobby or an outlet, um, all of those things I think are good. Also, the major thing that is coming up for me is around... Um, those yearly physicals, you know, being able to go to the doctor, getting checked, <laughs> you know, I hear from men sometimes how much they struggle with um, just going to the doctor. And I think that too is so important. I value my health so much. And and for me, I need to know what's going on with my body on a yearly basis or if not, you know, every six months. I need to understand those things. So I wonder, you know, it seems like you often encourage that. Um, do you get a lot of resistance there? By the time they make it into my office, um, there's not a whole lot of resistance because I think yeah. I'm the last. <laughs> Fortunately, I think mental health is the last rung on the ladder for yeah. these men. So they're like, I've already checked with my doc. A lot of times that stuff has already been taken care of. But I, um, one of the things that um, is on the lower scale is um, healthy eating is huge and stress management is huge with um, the functioning of our body. Any tips you'd like to share? So maybe what, what do you use or what do you incorporate into your 
routine or ritual that helps you um, manage your stress? You know, because I imagine you, <laughs> you carry a lot too. <laughs> um, you know, just like with sexual autonomy, just human autonomy. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, my wife and I have been together for um, 20, well, 20, married for 25 years, been together for about 26. And with that, we appreciate our autonomy. I can go out and I can do things on my own. Um, whether I get on my motorcycle and go for a ride or I go to the gym and she'll go do things on her own. And when we come together, we're still interested in each other. And during this pandemic, a lot of folks aren't interested in their partners anymore because we see them all day, every day if we're working from home. (laughs) And so maintaining that autonomy to manage stress, to find things that really interest us or to be interested in trying new things, not only in the bedroom, but also out in the world, I think really plays a a integral part on managing our stress. Yeah. I love that. Um, Any interesting facts about the male body? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, I, I think, um, um, Emily Nagoski, and if you guys have it, if your audience hasn't read um, Emily Nagoski's She Comes First, um, or Come As You Are. I Come As You Are, yeah. Yeah, um, that's a great book that I even encourage my men to read because when they talk about genitalia and how they're formed, and when she goes through that explanation, it's the same parts, just in different forms. And I think. Um, when she talks about how the foreskin is made of the same material as the clitoral hood and the scrotum is made of the same tissue as the labia, um, I think that's important for men to understand when we are exploring our bodies and to just to like, huh, I'm interested in this tissue. That's great. Also, with a male body, um, the, the penis is um, a pretty sensitive area, and especially when we get around the glands of the penis, um, it's very sensitive, and um, we experience a lot of sensations there when we're when we're having intercourse. So if we can, but not to all, only focus on that piece, because we have the prostate prostate that um, can. Um, Elicit pleasure, and we also have the um, um, the scrotum in the base of the penis as well can experience sensations. What about the other erogenous zones? So I think oftentimes, and I know you just mentioned you just mentioned a few. Um, I think sometimes um, you know because of how we learn about. Well, we learn nothing about pleasure because of what we learn. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I think some parts of the body is often um, ignored. Um, do you want to touch on any other erogenous zones that um, men can, you know, guide their partners to explore more uh, during intimacy? Yeah. So um, our erogenous zones are going to be very subjective. It's going to be different to different yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why really, if, if, if your listeners out there, if 
getting with a grade six therapist to teach sensate focus therapy um, is amazing. Usually phase one of sensate focus therapy, we're not touching genitals. We're focusing on pressure, temperature, and texture, and we're touching other parts of the body that interest us. And that is a great way to discover um, our own erogenous zones. Mm-hmm. Or if we do solo sensate focus when we're by ourselves, not to focus so much on the uh, genitals, but just to touch ourselves and to see where we get a um, an arousal response or a pleasure response. And if we don't, that's okay, because sometimes those areas can be a different um, place. Uh, some of the common areas, though, you know, people talk about um, their necks, um, the back of their thighs, or their inner thighs as being erogenous zones. But I think it's a good way for couples to explore to learn about each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of the areas that I've found it's, um, you know, like some for some people, right? Because like you said, it's going to vary. So like the scalp the airs, I know the airs, those, those are powerful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, lower back, um, inner wrists, um, like you said, um, sometimes inner thigh, well, not <laughs> inner thighs, back of the thigh, um, even just hands, you know, I think sometimes, you know, there is, there's just so much that we sometimes just ignore because we want to rush to, um, intercourse because that's kind of how we're we're trained. We've been trained. Um, exactly. Yeah. Even, just you know, yeah. So I think the legs and the feet and the toes. There's just so much to explore, and and I just I just want um, for men to be open to that. You know, because you, you like you know you just never know what what it is until you you try it, right? Exactly. And, and and you can get so much information too. Um, and not just what's pleasurable to you, but also what you don't like. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's so good. that's good data too. <laughs> yeah. And so if, if if our partners are doing this touch and we can articulate like, yeah, you know, um, I like to call it a compliment sandwich. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Thank you for paying it. Yeah. Thank you for paying attention to my body. But that's a place where I don't like to be touched. But I really appreciate you taking care of my body. And so that way we we move into this place where it's not this um, um, kind of hard criticism about what our partners are doing. It's just more of this like, I'm going to educate you. I'm going to gently move you to a place where um, this feels better on my body rather than this place because we don't know about trauma triggers. Yes. Yes. And so um, what may be erogenous for some may be a trauma trigger for others. Mm-hmm. And another reason why we should have safe words, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Or I, I like, so um, there is a great book called um, Sensate Focus Therapy for uh, Therapists. Okay. Um, written by, um, it's called Sensate Focus and Sex Therapy by Linda Weiner and Constance Avery Clark. It's a great 
book. Um, and they also talk about a thing called handwriting when we're exploring each other. Mm-hmm. Um, handwriting is when we don't want to be overcritical of our partners, just putting your hand over top of their hand and moving their hands to a different position. It really helps us stay in the moment and to be present because we're still making that physical contact. We're just moving our hands over to a different place. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Another thing you touched on earlier that I think um, maybe it could be helpful to elaborate on um, was the concept of edging. You want to share a little bit more mm-hmm. on that? Yeah. Um, for um, my penis owners in particular, when we're talking about edging in um, regards to um, premature ejaculation, what edging is, is really like a... Um, sensitization exercise and what we're doing is we're going to masturbate right up until the point of orgasm and then we're going to bring it back down we're going to bring back down our state of arousal from that place and then we're going to bring it back up again and so when we talk about edging we want to um, as all with all six we want to make sure that we're jotting down things in a journal making sure we're looking at times and things like that. So as we're edging, bringing ourselves right to the edge of orgasm, we're backing down. So then that way we're increasing our ability to maintain um, our erection or our orgasmic space during sex. I love that. And for women, this is a great technique as well. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. And and I think that's the important piece is to collect data. I think um, there's two things that um, I try to get my clients to look at with sex, and that is to become curious. Become a little scientist about your body. Become scientists about your partner's body. Learn. If I don't like that, that's cool. What do I like? And so not to avoid a lot of things it's more of like huh that didn't feel nice i am interested in what feels good yeah right and then once we start to become scientists we can also bring fun back to sex it's so much pressure with sex nowadays that sometimes we're rarely having fun yeah it yeah it seems like the pressure is to follow this um, script that we see in porn where, um, you know, you show up, have a blue job, um, whatever, intercourse, bam, bam. <laughs> it seems to be like so scripted. And I think um, once we get away from that and more in tune with our partner's, um, our partner's pleasure and our own pleasure, um, I think it can become more fun, you know, and I think a lot of my my best experiences has been with partners who were very connected with my body, what I was feeling, how I was communicating, because I love talking. I talk during sex. (laughs) (laughs) I talk, I talk, and I mean, not like I'm talking right now, but... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Within the context of that, but I love being able to communicate what feels good, um, and and 
I love that I've always been open about um, safe words. So like, if, if this is not good, then, you know, I, I know how to communicate that gently. Um, but I think having a partner who is so in tuned with your body, um, your responses, that just makes it, that just takes it to the next level, you know, and, yeah. and being open, you know, being open to just experiencing all things that is pleasurable, of course, within consent. <laughs> yes, yes. And in, in, in that other C word, uh, consent, consent is, is, is the pinnacle of the C words, but that other C word, confidence. Mm-hmm. is amazing and so when we're even if we're trying or we're being our scientists and we want to try something new like hey baby you want to try something I don't know what I'm doing but I saw it you want to give it a try and going into it with confidence respect and safety I think is a great way to lower a lot of stress that we have yeah. like for instance I, I don't know anything about rope tying but, you know, my partner and I, I was sitting there and I was just like, okay, try to tie you up. <laughs> she was like, sure, sure. So we're sitting there and we're watching YouTube. <laughs> 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 uh, on how to do different knots and things. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and, but, you know, I was confident. I was like, I'm going to get this. I'm, I, you know, I walked into um, our local sex shop. Um, mm-hmm. down here and um, I had done all the research so I was confident I was getting the right things yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't about to be a murder scene <laughs> yep uh uh-uh. and so I was like alright so uh, but yeah yeah that confidence that confidence in safety being, being able to try something and that confidence comes from you know that reduced shame and guilt and yeah. with our partners being safe places to explore. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. If I feel and safe enough to tell my wife, like, I want to try to tie you up, and she's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> One, I have to be safe enough to tell her that. Two, she has to feel safe enough to say, okay, let's give it a go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. You know, and I think that, you know, that comes from just that that relationship you'll have built um, over the years. And I think for some persons, it, it takes a while to, to get there. Um, and I, I wish that, you know, from the jump, we can start talking about these things. But like you said, the games that show up in relationships, like, you know, we holding off for how many months, you know, and I think even during those times, yeah, I'm not saying you don't, you know, you shouldn't do that, but even throughout those moments of abstinence, you can start talking about what you like or what you would like to explore when, when you get there. But it seems like there is just, there's no conversation about um, just sex and our own sexuality and our fantasies. Even that people struggle with. Yeah. And I explored that in my um, episode uh, on threesomes. And one of the key things I I also wanted to mention was um, having a a post-sex conversation, like what was good, what wasn't good, what can we, (laughs) you know, work on. Um, I think sometimes there is no conversation after it besides, yeah, that was good. Or if if someone faked it, you know, you can can just kind of tell by, you know, just 
how they're communicating in that space. Um, but I think just having a conversation and, and talking about what we like, I think that can really, really help us have the sex that we want. Yeah. For sure. And and I, I try to encourage my couples not to have these conversations in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sometimes when we're um, after sex or prior to sex, we're having these deep and thoughtful conversations about what we will want and what we want. Mm-hmm. We're tur- it's we're turning our bedroom into a place of where sometimes our we may feel criticized. Mm-hmm. We may feel um, hurt by what our partners are saying, and that's okay. You know, sometimes, you know, um, we're responsible for our feelings, but what I, what I don't want to do is turn the bedroom into, I want to keep the bedroom as their sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to get up, we're going to get dressed. We're going to enjoy our post orgasmic high if there is one, and we're going to come in and we're going to sit, have a cup of coffee. Hey, what worked for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It didn't work for you. I love that. Did you? And then we bring it back and we take notes. We're interested. We're being scientists. We're interested in what our partners are saying. And then we're coming back to the bedroom the next time and say, hey, you remember that thing we talked about last time? Can we give that a try? Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing on that. Um, also, what can you, what do you think, uh, what society and our communities can do better to just improve, you know, comprehensive sex ed for men? Um, cause like we've shared, um, well, you know, we, we know we all grew up in, in this space where, you know, people have sex for procreation, um, and, and pleasure wasn't talked about a lot. So I wonder, um, where do you think we can start to maybe have some of those um, pleasure-centered um, conversations for men? At home, at a very early age. And, 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 I, and, um, and not just for pleasure, but for helping us to take away this shame and guilt about our bodies. Um, you know, a lot of times we don't like to accurately name our genitalia. Yes. And so we make up little names like our PP or wee wee and all these other things. And this is, this is very important, not only for our um, kids that have penises, but our kids that have vaginas as well. Mm-hmm. Because when we can accurately teach our kids how to accurately talk about their genitalia, it tremendously helps reduce their ability to be victimized by sexual predators. Because a lot of our sexual predators are close pe- people that are close to us. And so when we say, hey, um, if we get a perpetrator, it's like, hey, you know, making that, making, um, I'm going to touch your PP and making it a game is very easy to move into. But if you have a, a, a kid that says, no, my mom and dad told me you're not supposed to touch my vulva or my penis, that gets a person, a, that can stop a perpetrator in that point of not making it a game. Um, and so I think it starts there. And when we start accurately labeling that and moving to a sex positive um, 
model for parenting, mm-hmm. we're not going to say, hey, we're going to teach our kids about the birds and the bees at four or five. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> what we're talking about is accurately naming their bodies so they're yeah. not shame and guilt, mm-hmm. uh, feeling shame and guilt about their bodies. Mm-hmm. And then once they hit about teenage years or whatever, um, we start talking about or your kid starts to say, hey, I'm interested in talking about sex. Then we do. We, we talk about the stuff that we've learned. There's STIs. There's pregnancies. There could be um, unwanted pregnancies, protection. But we're also going to talk about pleasure. Mm-hmm. Because me telling my kid that's been masturbating in their bedroom that um, sex isn't pleasurable is going to make me a liar in their eyes. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, I love that approach. And I think that sex positive, but also body positive um, aspect to parenting um, and creating a safe space to have those dialogues very early on, because you don't just randomly start wanting to talk about it at 10, 11, um, when they're probably already noticing things and they're exploring themselves. Um, you want to start those conversations, I think, really early. You know, and even as yeah. babies, you know, putting yeah. on the diaper, talking to them like, hey, this is, this is this is your penis or this is your vulva. And kids, they're often grabbing and playing with things at that age anyway. So I yeah. think um, just helping them be connected with their bodies and not making it appear as a bad part of their body when it's not. <laughs> it's exactly. Not. <laughs> and, and I think um, Dr. Um, Dr. Lex Brown James. I mean, mm-hmm. she has a great book on this. Um, um, I, I offer it to my parents. Um, and, and what is it? Um, these are my eyes. This is my nose. This is my vulva. These are my toes. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so I think starting at that early age of talking about um, our bodies really um, is a great place to start for us. And when you mention that diaper, I, I always think about the consent as well. You know, um, what, as we're starting to get older, um, you know, we don't owe anyone. We don't owe our family members kisses. We don't yeah. owe them hugs. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a huge one. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, if we don't want to do it, then we shouldn't be guilt or shamed into um, giving this person up when we don't want to. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, this one is a tough one for me because um, uh, I, my husband is um, Hispanic. <laughs> so it's often a point of, um, you know, because it's it's a, it is a lot of unlearning that needs to happen in that space. So it takes a lot of conversation. Yeah, it goes into body agency as well, especially when I talk about sexual assault on men. When we're not talking about it enough, when we can say, you know, hey, you're not you're not a man, or you're not a, a real man if you're not having sex with this person when they offered it. That that's that just perpetuates, you know guilt and shame and poor behavior and poor um, training around sex. And it's when we can say, well, no, I don't want to have sex with her because I don't want to have sex with her. This is my body. It doesn't make me a man. It doesn't make me less of a man. It's 
and you know, my body autonomy. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> and so if we can start that at a young age, um, as well as teaching, um, um, uh, for, for, if we can start that at a young age, I think that will be very beneficial for um, men as they're growing up. I love that. Anything we didn't touch on that men might be really grateful that you said? <laughs> I mean, there's so many gems already, but... <laughs> um, have you have you been following the drama with Jackson? What's his name? Oh my goodness. I try not to even entertain that <laughs> because first of all, you know, I, I see these people as not... Um, I, I don't know. I don't put people on that pedestal, first of all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I see those people as not licensed or certified. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I bring it up because there is this topic of consensual non-monogamy. And when we talk about consensual non-monogamy, it seems more in our space that we are more forgiving of people that are practicing non-consensual non-monogamy. Right, he cheated, <laughs> and we're like, let's forgive them. Let's forgive people that cheat. That's okay. That's what men do, but we don't talk about consensual non-monogamy, mm-hmm. right? And we, well, we demonize consensual non-monogamy as in the sense of, well, these people are making agreement between their relationship that they can have other romantic or other sexual partners. It is out in the open, it's honest, it's transparent, it is different from us cheating. And so um, that's uh, uh, um, a lot of the clients that I see are either in consensual non-monogamous relationships or looking to explore um, consensual non-monogamous relationships. And they... Monogamy and consensual non-monogamy has their pros and cons, but the thing is, we're not talking about monogamy before we get married or enter into relationships. And I think that really does our relationships a disservice. Um, So even when couples come in and talk to me about premarital counseling, I ask them, I'm like, how do you want your relationship to be? Do you want it to be monogamous or consensually non-monogamous? And they were like, well, I just assumed it was going to be monogamous. <laughs> and I think that's also like a, a great space for values exploration. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, cause I think that's where it, that's where it begins, you know, and, and who, where, where did you learn about relationships? Uh, what relationship styles do you admire? Right. You know, because for some yeah. of us, we, we had models. Some of us didn't. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I think giving, allowing them to know that they have the freedom to design the relationship that works for them. Yeah, that's, that's so empowering to come in and say, we're going to do how we think it works best for us. Yeah. And we already do it in a lot of different ways. Like, I mean, in some of our homes, gender roles don't play a big part in how we do things. So just as we're able to debunk that, (laughs) I think we can start to, you know, debunk other things. (laughs) 
And even when it comes to infidelity, um, most of the, and this is just um, from what I've seen, is most of the partners that come in, they're like, it's not the infidelity that makes me angry. It's the lying and the deceit that makes me angry because I feel that I've lost who I am because I was gaslighted. I knew something was going on. But you told me that there wasn't anything going on or I'm just being overreactive. And some of the responses that I get from men and women who have been cheated on, I ask them, I was like, if they were honest and upfront about their attraction to another person, would things be different? And they say yes. And so that's a, that's, that's a huge space to be in where we can be safe and honest with each other. That is, that is powerful right there, you know, but, you know, it takes work to get to that space because of how we have been socialized. And I like that people can work through sex therapy or places where that's not available. They can work with a sex coach to start exploring some of those things. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. So um, I know you talked about some books. I wonder um, what else are you reading or what else do you recommend to to your male clients for bibliotherapy? Oh, there's just so much. Um, I like um, Dr. Um, David Lay's book, um, Ethical Porn for Dicks. Mm. I think that is a great book for uh, men to understand their relationship with porn. I also, um, The Edge of Sex, which really sits down and helps us talk about um, looking at marginalized folks in sex, right? And so you're looking at, um, in that book, you're really looking at hearing voices of people in the margins that are not... um, mainstream sexualities and they talk about sexual experience and sex education in the United States and then there are just a lot of great books about how to talk to kids about sexuality that I think is important as well yeah and the one I often recommend is um, Sex Positive Families Mm -hmm. Um, it's actually um, I think a black sex educator out of Austin, Texas yeah, that's one of those I recommend. It's really good because she covers everything, everything. She covers everything. And, um, you know, from body image to um, media, everything you can expect during those developmental stages, um, which I think is really healthy. Um, sex positive families. And I think they're on Instagram under that same name as well. So, yeah, it's one of my go to's. Um, any upcoming workshops or conferences or anything that you you might be working on um, during this time? Um, no, this year I probably won't take on any workshops or anything like that because I, you know, I probably will be transitioning out of Alaska to a new home. Um, hopefully by the end of the summer, and uh, so I'll be moving back down to the lower forty-eight, and so. Um, I think that'll be a good time to um, start focusing on some of my other ideas that I want to work on, such as um, uh, creating um, 
I, I really want to open up a clinic, a sexual health and wellness clinic. Yeah, that sounds good. Are you going to use like an integrated um, approach to your services? Yeah, yeah. I want to bring on, um, you know, um, a few psychiatric nurse practitioners, hopefully, or psychiatrists, um, um, hopefully looking at bringing on a um, pelvic floor physical therapist. Yes. (laughs) That's the dream. I've been thinking of something very similar. (laughs) Yeah. And then even bringing in, you know, people that are trained in tantra or massages or mm-hmm. um or just in yoga so people can just come to a place where they can um get all their self- sexual health needs met yeah i love that and i and i also like see i see the importance of like nutrition so much i think in in my idea i have a either like a nutrition uh nutrition or dietitian person um because i think all of those things come together they mm-hmm. do for sure yeah yes yeah i love that um definitely i'll follow your journey <laughs> <laughs> thank you and likewise yeah it's it's a far off vision but i keep thinking if i'm gonna do you know and, and i might start off with just a, a small group of small private practice but i see myself as wanting to really create something that really complements all of the things right uh-huh. yeah man it's it's a far yeah. off far off vision <laughs> thanks for sharing thanks for sharing it'll that. be there so, it'll be there sooner than you think yeah yeah thank you so, um, any, uh, how can our, our guys and also our women connect with you? Um, do you have, uh, an online presence on like Instagram, Facebook? Yes, I am on, um, Facebook at K-Pace Counseling LLC. Um, I'm also on Instagram at K-Pace Counseling and I am, on Twitter at KP Sex. Thank you for that. And website? Do you have a website? Oh yeah. And my website is uh kpacecounseling.net. So, you know, um, and so I, I do some blogs and um, various posts through those platforms. And so um, possibly um, as I'm winding down um, some of my private practice here in Alaska, I'll be more uh, doing more videos and vlogs. Nice. Love that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Kelvin, for being with us today. Um, I think you're an amazing resource for our men. And I'm so glad to have you in my network. (laughs) So thank you for just speaking with us today and sharing so much of your work with our our guys out there. And um, I hope it can help them with being... Um, more in touch and more informed (laughs) with their sexuality. Uh, Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us this week on Her Sexual Space. 
For more information on this week's topic, you can check out our Instagram page where I'll feature the lovely Mr. Kelvin Pace. Um, and you can add him if you have any questions, anything that comes up for you in this episode. Um, you can check us out at Her Sexual Space Podcast on Instagram and at our website, www.hersexualspace.com. Thank you so much for being with us and see you guys next week.